Court Screws and Contracts, where we talk all things real estate. But first... Be sure to like, listen, and subscribe on CorkscrewsandContracts.com and contact us for all real estate services. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Corkscrews and Contracts. I'm Wyatt Wallace. And I'm Jennifer Hamrick. And you know... How does that zoning thing work? You know, sometimes you just don't know why the city puts restraints on what you want to do, but today we're going to figure out why. And it's a really cool reason why. And it actually makes what you do better. So we've got somebody amazing for that. Uh, Let's just get started. Let's talk about what we're drinking. Oh, we're, okay. <laughs> First, let's talk about what we're drinking. Jennifer, what are we drinking? How dare I? <laughs> Today, we are drinking Showdown. It is a Cabernet Sauvignon from mm-hmm. California. Oh, let's try that. Hmm. Okay, so, slightly <laughs> on the dry side. Also has bubbles in it, which we didn't anticipate. I'm not going to run to the store and buy it again. Okay. Wow. <laughs> My goodness, guys. Normally we're pretty uh, we're pretty on the upswing about things, but that was definitely a uh, forget about it. <laughs> just like that. Just like that. Thank you, Millennial Lawyer Podcast. <laughs> Tiffany K. Park is a realtor and land use consultant. In her role, she uses her knowledge of Nashville neighborhoods to help homeowners find their unique place in the world. As a land use consultant, she is assisting Nashville developers and investors realize highest and best use based on sound planning principles. At the intersection of two roles is a unique perspective on Nashville's neighborhoods and its future growth. Tiffany Capehart, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So we like to really get started right off the bat. What, Mm -hmm. uh, What would you say is the number one thing that our listeners need to know about uh, city planning, zoning, that sort of thing. Okay. <laughs> well, it's not it's not boring. I know sometimes <laughs> it can come off a little boring. <laughs> um, but it is, you know, everything in our cities that we enjoy is done with some intentionality behind it. And I think that's what people may not always understand. Um, the places where we work, live, play, um, you know, everything that we engage with in a city is done with some intentionality. And so that is what zoning um, is all about. It's about intention. What do we intend for our city to be? You know, and we use zoning in, in an implementation way to help with that. So, yeah. How did you find your passion for zoning? Because <laughs> every time I've, I've seen you, you're talking. Because I'm so passionate about and, zoning. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know it so well. Like, yeah. you know what you're talking about when it comes to Nashville and zoning. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, let me just say, I'm not passionate about zoning. <laughs> I'm passionate about cities and how we live in them, you know, but, and zoning is the tool to help, you know, with that process. But I, um, I'm originally, I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana, mm-hmm. and my dad was in the Navy down there. So that's how my parents met. And, but he was from Louisville, Kentucky, which is where we eventually moved and I grew up. 
So every summer we would drive down from Louisville, Kentucky to New Orleans. My, my, we didn't, my dad didn't like to fly. So we got in his, <laughs> this is in the eighties. So if y'all can remember the two door hatchback mm-hmm. escorts, Ford escorts, what? <laughs> we were driving eight hours in a Ford escort down from Louisville to New Orleans. And I remember my memories of that were sitting in the front seat with him, you know, listening to all his old tapes, Earth, Wind and Fire and all that. <laughs> and we're like driving through the night, but we would, you know, every, and I'm, you know, if you can imagine, I'm like six, seven, eight, mm-hmm. and every city we would come upon and, you know, we're driving for hours and it's like, oh, the next city's coming up, you know? So the first city we hit was Nashville, right? Mm-hmm. And then the next city might've been what, Birmingham or, or Chattanooga or whatever those, yeah. you know, the different cities you hit mm-hmm. on the way to New Orleans. And it just fascinated me for some reason, you know, every city had a different like skyline and a different mm-hmm. feel to it when you're driving in. And then eventually we'd get to New Orleans and then, you know, we're like, we're here, you know. So I think it started then with mm-hmm. just this fascination of going into different places um, on this long drive, okay. you know. And so, so it started there. And so then um, fast forward, I'm in high school, got interested in architecture and um, eventually found my way to TSU through different mentorship programs and like that pre-college programs and TSU had an architectural engineering discipline or degree Mm -hmm. and so that's what my undergrad is in and I just remember my roommates in college being well not remember but my roommates in college were from Chicago uh, Jackson Tennessee Um, but in Chicago my girlfriend would tell me you know they were tearing down Cabrini Green the public housing development Mm. there and I just had all these questions about, well, who's making those decisions? Where are these people going to live? Because they've lived in a certain environment for so long, and now where are they going to move to, and mm-hmm. how are they going to acclimate to that? And one of my professors was had a degree in urban planning. And so I researched it. You know, everybody's, like, trying to find their job, you know, senior year. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to work in construction. I don't want to work in building design and, you know. And so I went and got a master's in urban planning immediately after undergrad and then eventually made my way back to Nashville. So um, so to answer your question, not passionate about zoning, <laughs> but passionate about cities and what made them tick. And that's what kind of brought me down this path. Which is what comes out of zoning. Exactly. Like city. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And growing up, going to New Orleans every summer, there's beautiful buildings there it's great yeah i mean it's it's and every city has its challenges right Mm -hmm. so i bet new orleans i mean new orleans obviously environmental challenges with it being on the coast and Mm -hmm. um and with katrina and all of that and then you've got historic i mean most of the city is historic right Mm -hmm. so every city has its challenges and we use planning and zoning to help manage the growth of cities and figure out how to navigate those challenges as our cities grow and change so since you were looking it up, and I, I've forgotten, uh, what did happen to the people that lived in Cabrini Green? You know, I don't remember. I, th- I, I, I think what happens is people just get de- displaced or they get put in other, you know, public housing developments. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a good question. I need to really go and, like, look at that, look that up. But um, it was just a question that created a pathway. I didn't really 
think like, well, let me go find the answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but it's but usually what happens is people move to other public housing developments, mm-hmm. um, other low income housing throughout a city. You know, if they're living in public housing and it goes away, um, if they redevelop a place like Cabrini Green, if they take that site and redevelop it into mixed income housing, then some people are placed back in there. Mm. So it might have been a multi, those you know, many different ways they were moved. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Wow. And how did you get to working with the city of Nashville mm-hmm. in Davidson County? So when I went back home for grad school, um, I went back to University of Louisville and got my I have to be careful because everybody says Louisville. <laughs> I have to pronounce every so Louisville. That's where I got my. Oh my gosh! Um, so I got my master's in planning there at U of L, and um, then was trying to go to Chicago actually, oh, ironically, okay. to pursue you know work in planning, and then couldn't really find a job up there. But a classmate of mine from TSU, he was like, hey, you know, Nashville's hiring for a planning position. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I'll buy. You know, I wasn't thinking about coming back to Nashville, but I did. I'm glad I did. Um, so in 2007, I came back, yeah, and started working for the city. So, and met my husband when I came back. So it was good that I came back. <laughs> where you were supposed to be. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Wow. And there's been so many changes. There's been so mm-hmm. many changes. Even since, I mean, I started working here in like 2007, 2008, around that time. And um, where we're on like 11 years after that. And it's like a lot has changed. Mm-hmm. There's some parts of the city that um, even I don't recognize sometimes, you know. Yeah. But, but I will say that that's a good thing. I mean, I, I know that a lot of folks that are from Nashville um, are having a hard time, I think, with the change and how fast it's changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but we could be in a place where there is no change, right? We could. We could. You know, and, you know, there's our, you know, we have a, a, a weak economy, which is not facilitating, you know, change. And so is that the alternative that we want? I don't think so, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. No, it's, it's definitely not. Uh, growing up in... Uh, small towns in the Midwest, mm-hmm. I can tell you, you know, there is a, a drain of youth that yeah. can't find work or um, need or want better opportunities. Yeah. And so a lot of the towns that didn't have the kind of growth that a place like Nashville has going right now or major cities are going, they're emptying out. Yeah. That is mm-hmm. what is the opposite of growth is a decline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or stagnant stagnation Mm -hmm. you know when I go back to Louisville where I'm from um, you know I go there and nothing has changed you know I mean streets you know like you know our Gallatin Pikes and our Mm -hmm. Nolensville Roads and things like that are starting to fill in with more development they're starting to look different Um, streets like that where I'm from look the same I mean Mm -hmm. literally the same the same restaurants that were there fast food (laughs) you know I mean car dealerships you know it's the same and you know, I don't think that's what people really want. I don't think they want stag to be mm-hmm. stagnant. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they want growth. But as planners, because um, I still consider myself a planner, even though I'm working mostly in real estate now, yeah. um, you know, we have to find a way to balance that idea of we want to change, but how do we change in a way that's fair and equitable and uh, addresses the needs of everybody? you know, in a, in a community. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like the part about, um, uh, you'd said 
when we were speaking before this was about um, the planning has to think about the end user mm -hmm. and what is it that makes a neighborhood the best for those that are going to live in it beyond just that first real estate deal. Mm -hmm. How do you see um, more the most effective methods of doing that? Mm. Mm. So what you're talking about is sustainability. Mm. And I know that's a, you know, a, like a planning buzzword. I know we've heard it in mm -hmm. development. Um, but it really is what we ought to be striving for when we as practitioners, developers, investors, realtors are out there making deals and designing things. You want things to sustain, you know, a long time. I mean, if you think about the neighborhoods in Nashville that people are clamoring to get into, like our Germantowns and Salem Towns and East Nashville and Creve Hall and those places, they're what they are because they have sustained over a long period of time because mm -hmm. of their development pattern, you know? Mm -hmm. The way that the buildings are designed, the way that the sidewalks are, the way that the street grid system is well connected, um, that way that the houses might have been designed, lots are laid out. It's a sustainable development pattern. And so people want to be in those places. And so when we're designing places now today, we ought to be thinking about what is this place going to look like 50 years from now? Yeah. Eight, you know, 100 years from now. Is it going to sustain itself? You know, so. That's, that's amazing because you mean actual physical patterns, which yes. is so cool. Like visually, I mm -hmm. think of in East Nashville, and I think that a lot of those portions are grids. Mm -hmm. And then there's a few roads that go some diagonals that are mixed in. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not like urban or suburban where a developer has created a single kind of uh, community mm -hmm. I suppose where it's a snake pattern mm -hmm. and you kind of have to go along a long curve to go anywhere mm -hmm. and it's pretty self-contained yeah um, that I think that's fascinating because yeah you're right East Nashville reminds me of a bigger city but smaller portions mm -hmm. compared mm -hmm. to the the west side of the of the river, mm -hmm. which feels um, more hodgepodge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, our development patterns. So when we talk about development patterns, um, you know, the older part of the city of Nashville was once served by trolleys. You know, people walked more, so then you had a more condensed development pattern. You know, mm -hmm. smaller lots, more mixture of uses. Um, and once we got to post-World War II, where we were driving more, um, the government was giving out, you know, the FHA kind of loans to help people afford housing and like that. We built out a more suburban pattern where everything's more spread out. Um, it's not very conducive to walking because everybody was in a car at that time. And so now... We're kind of getting back to the thought of, you know, we want to walk more. We want to be closer to the things we enjoy. And so that development pattern is what creates more sustained ways of, of growing as a city. You know, you can't sustain constantly, you know, building further and further out and having to provide more and more infrastructure, you know, more sewer, more roads, more water connections, you know, digital connections, you know, you have to build all of that stuff new. And if we keep doing that, we're just going to be, you know, building ourselves into where, you know. So it's, it's really thinking about how do we best use the land that we have? How do we best 
you know, build in a way that um, is going to use our resources um, at his, you know, at a, the, the maximum potential, I guess. So, yeah. I know it's better than just talking about RS5 and RS, you know, R6 and stuff, right? Right. Wow. Real estate investors looking for a quick close and no appraisals? Reach out to Mike Brady at PropertyRecycle.com. They are a large private equity firm with that personal touch. Property Recycle offers an easy online application, no appraisal requirements, and can close within five days. Ditch your slow, expensive lender and get the money you need today. Call Mike Brady at 615-806-7500. Again, that is 615-806-7500. Or visit propertyrecycle.com. So being in real estate, we a lot of people don't understand certain things that we hear a lot about, uh, like, they refer to them as tall and skinnies, uh, mm-hmm. which are HPRs to us. Mm-hmm. And uh, even the Airbnb comes up very often right now with trying to make decisions on if they're going to get rid of it or not or whatever they're going to end up doing with mm-hmm. it. Uh, so I kind of wanted to touch on those those types of things that somebody that's not in real estate may mm-hmm. not know because we do have a wide range of listeners. Yeah. So uh, do you mind talking about HPRs and how that became and you know how it helps with development sure so all right so hprs are kind of born out of the r6 r8 zonings where you've got um where you can do two houses on one lot okay Mm -hmm. it allows you to do either single or two family Mm -hmm. okay um and nashville there were a lot of places that were zoned that way already right but they only had a single house on the lot so in a lot of places in Nashville, we're what we call like underbuilt, you know, mm-hmm. um, underdeveloped, right? And so when we had our kind of, I guess our own kind of real estate boom where, you know, we we started to see where um, we had a whole lot of demand, people moving here, mm-hmm. and there wasn't a lot of inventory, right? So then developers and investors saw that, hey, they go into codes one day and say, hey, I want to, you know, scrape down this house and build something else. And they're like, well, you know, your zoning's R6. What does that mean? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> well, you can build two on this lot. What? What? <laughs> what? So. Gold. Right. So now you can maximize your profits by building the two on the one lot. So now everybody's trying to, was trying to find and did find yeah. <laughs> lots that were zoned, you know, for two family where everybody may have thought it was just one. So. Yeah, and, and I, I have run across people that have owned their house for 30, 40, well, probably 50 years. Mm-hmm. And at one point, there was a house that was built in the back. Mm-hmm. And they just went ahead and leveled it, and it's just a pad now. Right. You know? but, but they go, yeah, I mean, you could put another house back there, I guess. Or just even people who don't know. Like, mm-hmm. I talked with an owner in West Nashville, and um, there was new development all on her street. And she was like, why is this happening? And I'm like, because you're a lot. You have R6 or whatever, R6, R8 zoning as well. Mm-hmm. You could, you know, someone could come in and you could tear this down and build, you know, build two. So she didn't even know, you yeah. know. So people don't even know what zoning they may have. Mm-hmm. But it was really just a, 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 a simple supply and demand situation. You know, we had a lot of people moving here um, that wanted to live again in that, that 
idea of getting in closer to town so I don't have to drive an hour to get to work. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and there was an opportunity to provide that housing through those that type of development. And, you know, th- that type of housing has some benefits to it, right? Um, in some cases, you can get into a neighborhood where you might not have been able to afford at a much cheaper price because now that price is kind of split into two. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, um, because even there's there's places in Nashville where they used to call them zero lot line properties where yeah. it's yeah. like a townhouse, but you own the land that, that the townhouse to sits the on. It's it. attached, but yeah. you get the you get the side, the mm-hmm. front, and the back. So it's a, another affordable way to provide people, you know, um, uh, ownership, right? Hmm. But they stopped doing that, and so now you just have the R six zoning or two family zoning. So anyway, it's it's a way for people to get into neighborhoods. The issue I think comes back to design and how we are thinking through sustainable neighborhoods and how we're designing things. The, way, the reason why people don't like the tall and skinnies is because that's what they are. They're tall and skinny, right? <laughs> Modern boxes in they places are. that used to have cute, historic kind of bungalow or cottage type homes, mm-hmm. right? So I think if the development community were a little bit more thoughtful about context, you know, the two-family situation may not be that big of a deal. There's two-family situations all over America, Mm -hmm. and we were talking about New Orleans. There's tons of two-family, you know, bungalows in New Orleans, but they still look like the French architectural style with the funky colors that, you know, we we recognize of New Orleans, right? Yeah. and so it's about defining like what is Nashville's housing style. Each neighborhood is at something different, mm-hmm. and you can't go in and just put a modern streamlined box in somewhere where there's historic, you know, uh, you know, bungalows and like mm-hmm. that. It just doesn't fit, mm-hmm. and so that's why people don't like it. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> so, and I get it. You mm-hmm. know, yeah, yeah. It takes a, it's a different style. It takes a person to like that yeah. modern. And I'm not saying modern look. is bad. You know. Right. Every, you know, we don't, when I was at the playing department, we said, we don't regulate architecture. You know, mm-hmm. everybody has their own thing that they like. Um, but I'm going to do a training today, actually, at Keller Williams. And mm-hmm. part of what I tell other realtors so they can tell their clients and, and part of my consulting work is we have an awesome responsibility because we're literally building what Nashville looks like. Like right. we're literally, mm-hmm. you know, making that imprint, Right. And so, do you want to look back and say, I built that with a question mark? <laughs> or, or I built that with an exclamation point, you know? So, yeah. you know, so it, we, we have to be very aware of what we're doing, I think. With, uh, with these <laughs> HPRs, the tall and skinnies, and a lot of it is being used for short term rentals. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are Airbnb, R- VRBO. Uh, any gamut of letters, alphabet soup, as far as <laughs> yeah. people visiting a hot city Come like sleep Nashville. sleep at my house. Yeah. That's right, yes. <laughs> yes. Nashville is so hot, and um, it's if it's less expensive than a hotel, or if it's more exclusive than a hotel, why not do it? Uh, the, the issue, the rub has been that neighborhoods have seen a reduction of permanent residents, and those permanent residents look up one day and they say, hey, look, I used to have 15 neighbors and now I have three. 
-hmm. or four, and the rest are only here for three days at a time. They're bachelorette parties. They're bachelorette parties, <laughs> and there's beer cans on my front stoop. And uh, if that's that would be like the minimal. That really would. That really would. It's like yeah, yeah. You know, you don't want to check their Instagram accounts after they leave. Um, so what? As an investor, I love to hear that people are getting returns for their investment, and I like that. However, I also feel for the person that no longer has neighbors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I know I struggle with short-term mm-hmm. rental because I I am a fan of innovation, right? I'm a fan of the sharing economy, Uber, Lyft, the scooters. Mm-hmm. You know, we my husband has used Airbnb when he travels. Um, he won't let us stay as a family in an Airbnb, which I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand it. I don't, I don't know. I think it's, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> But he uses it, you know. But, um, yeah, we'll have to act. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> right? I don't know. It creeps him out to have the kids at somebody else's house. I don't know. Um, but I do think, I, I think that, so I, so I support innovation and in sharing economy. I do think that it can be very detrimental to neighborhoods if we have, properties that do not have long-term residents in it because our neighborhoods are made, ran, sustained, cared for by, you know, the people that live in them. Yes. You know, and if we lose that, then you lose the essence of what a neighborhood and a community is, I think. So from a land use perspective, Um, I think that short-term rental is best served in commercial and multifamily areas, particularly in commercial centers, high places of activity, or along transit corridors where these you know, tourists and visitors can utilize transit services. That's what I think. I don't think that it's best served in neighborhoods, mm-hmm. in single-family or even the two-family situations. Um, from a land use perspective, I think putting what is essentially a hotel or a mm. tourist attraction needs to be in a more mixed use, um, high transit served place. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. So some investors may not want to work with me. Yo, I that. can feel the, the phone lines are burning up right now. Burning but up. That's what I think, you yeah. know. Um, and it just, it's crazy um, you know, like for instance, there's this, there's a development right on eighth and I called the owner about, you know, pitching to, to list. Hmm. And he was like, I'm so sorry. He's like, it has sold all 12 units, wow. beautiful townhome units to an Airbnb investor. Mm-hmm. So now, so from a business standpoint, it's like, well, darn, you know, Um, And then also from a business standpoint, as a realtor, Mm -hmm. when I have a client looking for a condo, you know, awesome, something historic, something really cool, and I pull a listing and it's like half the building is sold to Airbnb investors, my client's like, I don't want to live there. You know, what's the return on my investment going to look like Uh, if, you know, so it has an impact on our local real estate market, mm-hmm. when people who want to be 
owner occupants cannot find, you know, housing in place, you know, in these places. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing to think about, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying it's bad. It's just that, again, we have to think about, you know, the consequences of the choices we're making from a land use and development and growth perspective. It's, it's kind of like, are we, as developers and investors, we're building a city for who? You know, for tourists or for the people that want to call this place home. So mm-hmm. that's just my opinion on right? it. Right? Yeah. I'm going to say one last thing, then I'm going to get off my high horse about this because there's more that we need to know. But I will say, as a rehabber, a person who loves history and bringing it back forward to where we are now, mm-hmm. re- repairing and you know the time that it takes to get a great home that is a 50s home, mid-century, and bring it forward, it's harder and harder to find those because they get knocked down mm-hmm. for a new build mm-hmm. for two, two, two houses now. Mm-hmm. And so the problem is not only the difficulty finding it, but people that own those that do know that their property will likely be torn down now want the moon for that house mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to understanding that anything that I could possibly do can't afford mm-hmm. what, because I don't want to knock it down. Right. And now they want the price of two houses from me. And it's like, mm-hmm. I, I, I can't pay. do that. Maybe yeah. somebody else wants to pay for that, but I can't. Yeah. yeah. I and mean, so. you know, I love money and it comes to me freely. You know, that's my <laughs> affirmation. I'd oh, say every morning, you know, I, I get it. You know, it, it, if there's an opportunity, people are going to, people are going to take it, you know. Um, but yeah, it does make it, it does just make it hard, you know. Um, it does make it hard, especially for what you are wanting to do. I, mm-hmm. I totally agree. I think, and even from a price perspective, I think, um, you know, because there's going to be a premium on the tall and skinny that's being built, right? Yeah. Um, whereas if it was a renovation, you know, there's still, it's still going to be more expensive, but maybe not as expensive as new construction. Yeah. So, you know, even from a, a more I don't want to say affordable housing. I'm going to say attainable housing. You know, mm-hmm. renovations have always been kind of another best option. But, mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I get it. It's 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 just really hard, and it's hard to to manage these things in a free market, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a free yeah. market. You're you right. Know, yeah. So. I wonder if when Sears and Roebuck started promoting all of their craftsman style houses you know if people said oh we don't like that either yeah (laughs) and we don't like that everyone on the block just bought one right right i'm sure they did you know i'm sure they did i mean tudor style before that yeah you know or mid-century could you i know people probably like what is there all these spaceships (laughs) dropping in (laughs) you know but um yeah i think we uh, there's always something there's always a challenge that we have to get around you know and that is again where zoning and other planning tools come forward you know back to the tall and skinnies when people were complaining not well I want to say complaining when people were um, concerned about mm-hmm. the character of their neighborhood being stripped away because of tall and skinnies the planning department's response to that was contextual overlays where you look at the context of homes around you mm. Um, the height, the massing, you know, how big the house is on the, on the lot, um, setbacks and things like that and said, hey, if you're in this context, then your new build has to fit that, hmm. you know. So that's just an example of, you know, 
planning, responding to issues in the market and trying to figure out how to, you know, how to balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, developer, you can still build, right? But you have to think about what's around you if you're going to build in this neighborhood, right? You know, historic overlays, mm-hmm. same thing. You know, yeah, you can build in Germantown, but you're not going to do a modern next to these, mm-hmm. you know, traditional um, shotgun houses. You're just not going to do it, mm-hmm. right? So, so that's the tools that um, neighbors, residents have at their disposal, you know, working with their elected officials to help manage growth. And, um, and then developers, I think, just also have to understand the compromise and it's needed, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do have some developers that are willing to work with neighbors to do something that's great so that they can also, like I said, look back and be proud of something that they were able to do and set a positive precedent for development moving forward. We love to ask you about the, the horror stories. Uh-huh. What? Uh-huh. Or what? funny. Or funny stories. Maybe they're fun- <laughs> funny horror story. Uh-huh. Where's an example that that didn't go very well? Do you... We don't need you to share names or nothing, but we definitely <laughs> want to know. Do you like buying insurance for your flip, new construction, or other properties? No, everyone hates buying insurance unless you call Joe Gravy Graves with I Hate Buying Insurance. I Hate Buying Insurance. He chose that name because it's the truth. Call or text Joe at 615-499-6846 to ask about insuring your investment properties and you'll get three free gifts worth over $7,000 in value when you say, Gravy, I need a quote on my most valuable asset. 615-499-6846. Net Worth Realty of Nashville is growing wealth in Tennessee by providing people across the Nashville metropolitan area with the tools and expertise they need to succeed in the residential real estate market. Their specialists understand the ins and outs of Nashville and are experts at locating undervalued properties in the city's most desirable neighborhoods. That's Net Worth Realty of Nashville, 615-823-2777. Yeah, I mean, you know, well, I'll tell you the story I always tell that got me into consulting in the first place was when I was at the planning department, I was sent out to host a community meeting in North Nashville and it was at a church historically black, you know, congregation. Mm -hmm. And it was a developer looking to do something, I think, on Charlotte. And the gentleman was, you know, presenting his uh, presentation, proposal. And there was a gentleman in the audience who, you know, and, you know, and so, well, the the audience started throwing questions at him. and, And this one gentleman just got up and said, would you do this in your neighborhood? And the guy's face turned red. He was you know, white gentleman, face turned red, yeah. and then he got defensive, you know, mm-hmm. and then the, the gentleman and the black gentleman in the audience, he got, you know, like, was just accosting him and stuff, and it just went downhill from there, and wow. so it never happened, uh, you know, yeah. you know, the development never happened, but after the meeting, I asked the, 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 the church member, or I don't know if he belonged to the church, but the community <laughs> member. Um, I said, you know, I'm talking to him like a brother. I'm like, why'd you, why'd you do that? Why did you do that? Why did you do that to him? You know, I was like, no, man, I just wanted to see what he was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's funny, but, 
you know, I see that all the time where it's this rub between the community mm-hmm. and the developer and it gets so uncomfortable. And so I was like, ah, there has got to be a better way to have these conversations. <laughs> and that's why, you know, my next part of my career, I was like, you know, I really want to go out and help facilitate these conversations with people. And so um, I was like, there's not much money in just facilitating conversations. So <laughs> I need to get a real estate license. And so yes. I did that. And so now, <laughs> you know, I love money and it comes to me freely. The listeners can take that. And <laughs> um, so I, so yeah, so what I do in a consulting role is, you know, I help manage a process for a developer, a zone change process. And try to facilitate those conversations between the community and the developer. But I tell my clients, I, re- I help you realize highest and best use, but with a with, based on sound planning principles. So the thing that we're presenting to the community and to other stakeholders, including the planning department, the council member, um, hopefully fits the, the community policy, which is the vision and goal that is set for a community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a development that people can say, okay, I think I can get get with that, you know. Um, but then there's also some wiggle room for the developer in terms of you go to a community meeting and there's feedback that you get, we need to go back and revise so that mm-hmm. we're meeting the needs of the, of the neighbors. So, so, you know, those conversations are hard, mm-hmm. you know, depending on what part of town you're in. Um, they're becoming harder because people have seen things that they don't like, right. and um, they're becoming more proactive and more engaged in the planning process, which is which is great and fine. Mm-hmm. I do think though that there needs to be more education around like how do you negotiate with the with the, the developer and investor, mm-hmm. you know, um, longer than gone are the days where they're just going to go away. Right. right. So what how what is it that you as a neighborhood, what do you need? Is it sidewalks? Is it intersection improvement? Is it lighting? Um, is there I mean, you don't want to do like was it pro pro bro where you exchange money for something else? Oh, like you don't want to Yeah, quid pro quo. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Not an attorney. Um, <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to do that necessarily, but a developer can be a community partner in terms of, you know, donating to a nonprofit or things like that. You know, like mm-hmm. there's things that there's ways that the development community can work with our residents, you know. And um, it's just working through that process so it doesn't turn ugly because I've seen it turn ugly. <laughs> Well, yeah. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. I always, I like talking. So, I like microphones. Yes. We <laughs> love one. listening. Yes. <laughs>